So last weekend, this girl graduated from seminary.
And if I had been considering rejoicing, singing the happy worship songs, smiling at the person next to me, saying, yeah, God is good. I believe that all the time. Then I must be mixed up about what rejoicing means. Because I can't do that always. I can't. And I have a feeling that some of us in the room like me have tried. <laughs> but it doesn't work very well. So I checked. I said, if this word is in the Bible, multiple times, mind you, Philippians is the unofficial joy book of the Bible. In four chapters, it mentions the word joy 16 times. That's a lot in the Bible. And this word rejoice is all throughout the New Testament, something like 75 times throughout the New Testament. So words mean something when we read them in the Bible. We have to deal with the whole translation issue because it needs to be translated, but it does come from an original text. So I decided to go back. I went to the Greek and I said, what is this word? How do I do it? How do I do it when everything in me feels opposite from what I thought rejoicing meant? So rejoice, if you will, comes in, it is the Greek word charete. And that is a, a version of the word chairo. And chairo is rejoice. The rejoice we're talking about is the directive of that, saying, you rejoice. So that's just a, a tense matter. But the root of this word, har, means favorably disposed, leaning towards something. You're like, yeah, I'm good with that. I like that. I can, I can lean in that direction. I can point somebody toward that. And that root is also in the root, uh, the root of the word charis, which is grace. And if a word has the same root in Greek, they are connected. They, you don't separate them. They are connected. So I'm skipping a few, few steps for you in the translation process. But if you could go to the next slide. Rejoice means to experience, to be conscious of. Literally, those two things properly, when used in the Bible, generally means to delight in God's grace. Do you know what that means? Do you understand what that means for us? That means that we don't have to fake it. That means that because this word is in the Bible, rejoice does not mean fake it till you make it. I have done a lot of that in my life. That is not rejoicing. It means that happiness feeling of happiness is not a requirement to rejoicing. I don't know if you heard that growing up. I don't know if you sang the song in, sun, the song in Sunday school that we sang, if you grew up going to church, rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. If you've heard that song, that's a pretty happy rejoicing song. And there is nothing, I do not hear, hear me say that there's something wrong with being happy when you rejoice. We can delight in the gloriousness of God's grace happily. But it is not required. And I don't know about you, but I was relieved when I read this. God doesn't expect us to just get happy. 
And this word, as I said, is used all over the New Testament, different places. Um, in Matthew 5, 11 through 12, it says, it's after the Beatitudes. Jesus says this, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I truly do not believe that Jesus told us to be happy about our persecution. Because how can we do that authentically? How can we authentically say, I'm totally fine with this. I am down. This is, I love this. Just keep it coming. Persecution is my jam. I mean, I don't know everyone in this world, but I'm going to imagine that for most of the people, the human beings on this earth, that is not how we function. And we are created in the image of God. So the way that we function, it matters. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Same word. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind and live in peace. I can do all those things without feeling happy. And that in and of itself brings me a little bit of joy. I can seek restoration when I'm down. I can encourage someone else when I'm not feeling it. I can live in unity. I can pursue peace with my community, even when my community knows I'm not doing well. In fact, the next verses of our passage, um, Paul says, instead of increasing the pressure to rejoice and saying, you're supposed to do this this way, he says, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And note that this is not an alternative to feeling. He's not saying instead of feeling bad, pray because you'll feel better. He's offering us something to cling to when we are drowning. That's what that prayer is. That's what that supplication is. He's saying, I know you might feel awful. Put that into words, into a prayer, a prayer that maybe doesn't sound that great, but that's true. And I believe that God honors our feelings. I truly believe that. That when we don't go about our daily lives pretending to be feeling a way that we're not feeling, that God honors that. He desires that. How many of you have heard of Mother Teresa? Yeah. I don't know if the not hands raised were just assumptions that you have heard of Mother Teresa. But if you haven't, um, she just became a saint relatively recently, actually. Um, because she, she was a, a nun who completely dedicated her life to helping the poor, the oppressed, the outcasts. And most people, at least I did, maybe it's not most people, maybe it was just me. When I heard about Mother Teresa, I thought about the cute quotes and the really nice things she said and the fact that she worked so hard in the name of Jesus. Yeah, go Mother <coughs> Teresa. But what I did not know until a few years ago is that 
for the majority of her time pouring herself out, she felt none of God's presence. She didn't feel God at all. It was darkness. It was heavy. But Mother Teresa didn't deny that. She did the work she needed to do. She didn't bring other people down. She was very careful about that. But I want to read you some of the things that she wrote. In letters to superiors of her in the church, in the church she was encouraged to, to just write out exactly how she felt. And this is what was written by the Saint Mother Teresa about what was going on in her. In the darkness, Lord my God, who am I that you should forsake me? The child of your love, and now become the most hated one, the one you have thrown away as unwanted, unloved. I call, I cling, I want, and there is no one to answer. No one to whom I can cling. No, no one, alone. The darkness is so dark and I am alone, unwanted, forsaken. The loneliness of the heart that wants love is unbearable. Where is my faith? Even deep down, right in, there is nothing but emptiness and darkness. My God, how painful is this unknown pain. It pains without ceasing. I have no faith. I dare not utter the words and thoughts that crowd my heart and make me suffer untold agony. So many unanswered questions live within me. I am afraid to uncover them because of the blasphemy. If there be God, please forgive me. Trust that all will end in heaven with Jesus. When I try to raise my thoughts to heaven, there is such convicting emptiness that those very thoughts return like sharp knives and hurt my soul. Love, the word, it brings nothing. I am told God loves me, and yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. They say people in hell suffer eternal pain because of the loss of God. They would go through all that suffering if they had just a little hope of possessing God. And in my soul, I feel just that terrible pain of loss, of God not wanting me, of God, God not being God, of God not really existing. Jesus, please forgive my blasphemies. I've been told to write everything. That darkness that surrounds me on all sides, I can't lift my soul to God. No light or inspiration enters my soul. I speak of love for souls, of tender love for God. Words pass through my lips, and I long with a deep longing to believe in them. In my heart, there is no faith, no love, no trust. There is so much pain. The pain of longing, the pain of not being wanted. <clears throat> I don't pray any longer and try, I utter words of community prayers and try my utmost to get every word the sweetness it has to give. But my prayer union is not there any longer. I no longer pray. Hear that and imagine telling Mother Teresa, 
probably knows the good book better than you. To just get happy. God loves you. Be happy. Rejoice. God's with you. It says so in the Bible. Rejoice. I know that the pain that I have felt and that I will feel in this life is probably very small compared to what other people in our world have felt. And so if I have trouble rejoicing always, don't ask me to tell that mother at the border to rejoice always. Don't ask me to tell people who have been beat down their entire lives for something they can't change to rejoice. I can't do that. But Paul says, always. And the reason that we get to rejoice always is because of God's grace. The next verses, uh, oh yeah, they're nice. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable. He tells us to think on these things. The first thing he says is to be honest. Think about what is honest. And if my spirit is broken, that is what is honest. And if I don't feel like praising God, that is honest. And those things go together. We cannot rejoice if we are not honest. And what is honest is speaking what's going on inside of us. Naming how we are actually feeling. And it is honorable and it is pure to be vulnerable. To not pretend, to not avoid. And it is just and honorable and pure to name oppression, to refuse to turn our back on it, even though it doesn't feel good, even though it might light up some things in us that we don't actually want to know about ourselves. That is part of rejoicing. Just like we can't separate the words from the Bible from the Bible, we can't separate where the words land in the Bible. And those are right next to each other. To rejoice is to be honest, to seek justice, to focus on what is pure and what is honorable, and those things are not denying what goes on in us, just because we don't want to feel them, just because we don't want them to be there. But those don't always fit with what we typically think of when we think of rejoicing. They didn't for me. I had that Sunday school song going in my head <laughs> over and over. And I know that um, it was hard to hear the song that we played earlier, but let me just, the parts that uh, I wanted us to hear. The refrain says, you know I believe, help my unbelief. Yet I will praise you, yet I will sing of your name. Here in the shadows, here I will offer my praise. What's true in the light is still true in the dark. You're good and you're kind, and you care for this heart. Lord, I believe. 
that you weep with me. And it talks about lament being turned into a love song, not because it feels good, but because we can speak what's true, even when we don't feel it. We get to rejoice because of God's grace. That is the only foundational reason. That is the reason that we rejoice. Because God's grace is the promise that God's got us. God's grace is the promise that God will always be bigger than our pain. God's grace is the already and the not yet of shalom, perfect peace. And God's grace is the truth about Jesus, about who he was, about what he did, and about what he will do. Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. From where will my help come? My help comes from Yahweh, who makes heaven and earth. Yahweh won't let our footsteps slip. Our guardian never slumbers. The guardian of Israel will never slumber, never sleep. Yahweh is our guardian. Yahweh is our shade. With God by our side, the sun cannot overpower us by day, nor the moon at night. Yahweh guards us from harm and guards our lives. Yahweh guards our leaving and our coming back, now and forever. Rejoicing in the Lord means that there's a new song in our hearts. It could be this song, the song that is Psalm 121. And it's the song of the redeemed. It's not the song of the comfortable. It's a song that can be sung even when you don't have a melody to put to it. And because we rejoice in God's grace, we also proclaim the truth about what it means to rejoice to others. Because we need that in community. We need that as Christians. And we need to stop telling people that they need to be happy. And we need to stop telling people in the midst of their pain that everything will be alright and that this too shall pass because quite honestly in this lifetime it might not pass in order to rejoice we have to be honest about pain and God's grace the grace that allows us to rejoice is present in anger God's grace is present in cries of distress. God's grace is present in shouts of protest. God's grace sometimes is present in us simply saying, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. Even if it's not fully true yet. That is God's grace, that is rejoicing. Jesus rejoiced on the cross. How many of us consider his cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me as rejoicing? It doesn't feel like that rejoicing we were taught. Jesus wasn't singing that Sunday school song. But he was honest. He hid nothing. He avoided nothing. 
He was the symbol of justice being unjustly executed by the state, and he proclaimed that God was God and that he was trust, crushed. That is rejoicing. We need to listen to the rejoicing of other people, just as we are called to listen to the rejoicing that Jesus did on the cross. Because that's what is true, that's what is honorable, that's what is pure. The New Testament as a whole teaches that Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. And that as Christians, our weeping will turn into joy. And that is the now and not yet. Jesus already died on the cross. Jesus already was raised from the grave. Jesus already lived this life with us and for us. So in some sense, we are his suffering and then glory is a script for our lives too. But that already and not yet is still true. There is a not yet. We don't fully know that glory. We don't fully know joy. Jesus, a lot of times when we consider Jesus coming, his incarnation, his life on this earth, we say that Jesus came so that we don't have to suffer anymore. And that's true to an extent. It's, I understand the future thinking of it, the forward thinking, the heaven, the not yet. But what I think is so important for us right now is to realize, to acknowledge that Jesus suffered because we suffer. We serve a suffering God. Jesus did not come to earth only thinking about his death and resurrection. Jesus came to earth and lived in this body. Not this one. He was not a white female. <laughs> lived in the human body. Because God knew that we suffer. That there is brokenness. There is evil. And so Jesus suffered because we suffer. He died and rose again and was victorious and is victorious. We haven't realized yet the fullness of our resurrection. But we can rejoice because of God's grace. We can rejoice when all we want to do is speak the words that Mother Teresa spoke we have nothing, that we can't pray, that we don't have faith anymore. Because God does not expect us to remove ourselves from our embodied existence in order to praise God. In order to declare the truth about God's grace in the face of our failures, in the face of our pain, in the face of evil, we do not have to deny those things in order to rejoice. Our rejoicing declares that God's peace that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, because of Christ Jesus, and that the God of peace has promised to be with us. We pray with
We are here to rejoice. We are here to declare your grace, to declare your presence, to declare your desires for us in the face of all that is broken and evil in the world, the worlds that we live in and the world that is bigger than us that we just hear about. So God, would you meet us here? Would you teach us how to rejoice? Teach us how to turn our anxiety and our worry and our pain into prayer and petition. Would you teach us how to not avoid the truth of who you are, the truth of your life here, the truth that you suffered with and for us? And Lord, would that give us just an inkling more of hope? Help us to embody that, Lord, so that we can offer that to those around us. So that we can stand up for people who are told that they should not be upset. Who are told that their pain does not matter because they were wrong. God, we trust you. And we rejoice in you because of what you have done and are doing. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.